Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. Speaking this evening about miraculous generosity, not generosity that's sourced in a really nice person who has a ordinarily sweet disposition, especially where you're concerned, but instead generosity that has the coordinates of heaven read all over it. Uh, I had a a friend who was a a PhD, and he was invited to become part of the first-generation faculty within a new academic institution. And he really prayed. He was a very godly person, and he was very prayerful and felt led to leave a very high-paying job and to settle down into this risky business of becoming part of this first generation in this new academic institution. And let's just say that he isn't the most organized of persons, uh, nor did he ever consult an Excel spreadsheet regarding his budget. The pay cut was much worse than he anticipated, and he discovered after a few months that he was lagging behind every month by about $1,000. He mentioned this to God with some agony and discovered the day after that agonized prayer that there was a knock at the door. This is a true story. And there was a woman there whom he did not recognize. And she said, I know that you don't know me and I don't know you. And you're going to think this is crazy. But I was praying. I'm a Christian. And I had this sense that you might be in financial trouble, and I just inherited a fairly large estate, and I want to give you $1,000 a month so long as you're a professor at that new school. And she did that for seven years. Uh, He's now the bishop of Central Florida, but that's another issue. Uh, He got a promotion. But... um, (laughs) That was a miracle. That was based on the coordinates of heaven. That wasn't planned, you know. And this is what we see in Matthew chapter 14, the coordinates of heaven at work, creating a generous moment. Now, all four Gospels, all four, record the feeding of the 5,000. But why? Why mention a free dinner? Why mention, you know, everybody, everybody gets a McFish sandwich, everybody. Uh, who cares? I mean, this, this isn't a life-changing miracle in any way, so why bother mentioning it? Well, uh, I want to talk about this free dinner, this free lunch, because I think it is a richly symbolic miracle. I think it's a richly tangible miracle, and I think it's a richly generous miracle. So let me talk about those through three areas, and let's move through the text together. Uh, let's begin with the symbolic nature of this miracle. This is verse 13. Jesus withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now it was evening. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. Now let's stop there just for a minute. Now the feeding of the 5,000 is symbolically linked to both ancient history and recent history. 
ancient history and recent history. The ancient history of this particular miracle harkens all the way back to a period of time right after the Jewish exodus, after the Israelites packed up their suitcases and left Egypt for the promised land. They spent a 40-year sojourn in the desolation. That's what the King James calls it, the wilderness, the place without... Uh, arable land, right? the place where no crops grow. Uh, and they had a terrible experience there, a purifying experience, and they became very, very hungry in the desert, complained to God and to Moses, and Moses prayed for these hungry people, and God gave them miracle food. Uh, we know it as manna, this bready-like substance that rested on the floor of the desert. Right? Well, they collected it day in and day out and were fed. Their lives were saved via a miracle. Well, we have a near repeat of that ancient miracle in this passage. Again, we have hungry Israelites. They're in the wilderness, and Yahweh is still providing. Only this time, he's not dressed up in the costume of a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud. Instead, he is dressed up in the benevolent face of the Mediterranean peasant carpenter, Jesus of Nazareth. Still present, but what this miracle is seeking to signify is the Yahweh who cared for his people in the midst of their exile and sojourn in the wilderness is the same Yahweh who cares even more so now at this moment and is still feeding his people and feeding them miraculously. So it harkens back to a big Israelite tradition, but it also harkens back to their recent history. That is the last chapter of Matthew's gospel right before this chapter, chapter 13, um, is the context for this grand miracle. What happens in Matthew 13? Jesus starts talking about seed theology as it relates to the kingdom of God. What does he say time and time again? He mentions this three times in one chapter. The kingdom of God always begins in a pathetic way. It looks like something that you would miss with the naked eye. It looks like a mustard seed that nobody cares about. But if you leave it alone in a field, it will grow into something rather uh, grand and substantial and provide respite uh, for the birds of the air, right? And so he's saying that it begins in a small way, but it, it ends in an apocal way. And now Jesus is enacting or physicalizing that metaphorical imagery. He's saying, if you want to get a sampling of the kingdom of God that I just spoke about, seed growing into something universal, I'm going to feed you lunch. And I'm going to do that by taking a very small thing and making out of it a very, very large thing. Uh, so he creates the exponential nature of the kingdom through a meal. So it's a symbolic miracle, but it's also a tangible miracle, very obviously, but the point needs to be underscored. This is verse 15, where the disciples say, this is a desolate place, the day is now over, send the crowds away into the villages to, and buy, to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away, you give them something to eat. They said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. Now, other than his own physical, tangible resurrection miracle, this may be Jesus' most tangible miracle, the multiplication of food, not for one person, but for thousands. It had physical ramifications, tangible ramifications for thousands of people. Now, I have to say, just as a side note, some scholars detach this story from crude tangibility and make this, par make this story essentially a parable or an emotional miracle about sharing. The idea is, I love that you laugh. The idea is that some kid gave his lunch to a disciple and Jesus was so touched by the hallmark moment that he said, you know what, let's all share. And everybody 
took out their Luna bars from their backpacks and gave everybody, you know, things that nobody likes to eat. And they all ate Luna bars. And then they all felt better. And then they said, see, sharing is important. But then they misinterpreted the sharing miracle and, and physicalized it in this passage. That's ridiculous. This parable is about a physical, tangible miracle. And it's far better to ask, what does the Bible actually say? Not, do, not what do we in our current cultural framework wish that it said? So it's not an emotional miracle. I'm sure people had emotional responses. But instead, Jesus is taking a very small amount of food. And because he is God of God, light from light, very God, a very God begotten, not made, and has power over creation, is the gentle sovereign over creation. He can do whatever he wants with bread and fish. And he did. So um, it's a tangible miracle from an all too tangible Messiah. And the business of catering is evidently not beneath him. So he turns five pita pockets and some tilapia into something much, much better. Um, And what I love about this tangible miracle is that it is a miracle for those who are not in crisis. They're not in crisis, not at all. They're just hungry. And we know they're not in crisis because the disciples say, just send them home. Tell them to go away so they can go to Arby's on the way and deal with their hunger in a normal way. But they can go home. They can walk home. It's right there. But instead, Jesus says, no, no, no. You take what's tangible and give it to them. But I love this, that he is offering a miracle for those who are not in crisis. They're not having a nervous breakdown. They are hungry. They are not starving. They don't have AIDS. They don't have leprosy. They don't have an infection that they can't cure. They don't have cancer. Uh, But I want us to notice this, that a grumbling stomach is not too small, that it slips past the open eyes of an all-too-attentive God. This is why he tells us, don't just pray in a crisis, give us this day our daily bread. Just pray for the normal stuff, like, dear Lord, I wish I didn't have this headache. I really could use an easier day today. Give me a few good nights sleep, please. But the basic stuff, it isn't just the crisis. God cares about everything as the gentle sovereign of all creation. And I want us to to note here how the disciples are not thinking in that way. They don't think God cares about this at all. They're thinking as pragmatists, not as Christians. They're saying, look, send them to Arby's. Don't keep them here. We don't have enough stuff. I think this is remarkable because they have no expectation that a miraculous Messiah will act miraculously. No expectation at all. They're total pragmatists. But Jesus... Um, takes their limited tangible lunch and makes something nearly unlimited with it. And I think there's an implicit invitation, therefore, in this passage to us to say it's something like this. It's okay for you to be less less practically atheistic. Like, it's okay. If you would drop the little atheist game once in a while and, and stop being such a pragmatist and instead dare to believe that God actually, actually does love you. And not just love you in a theoretical or theological sense or some detached paradoxical sense that you can never understand, but actually, actually cares about the food you eat and how healthy your body is and your blood pressure and your, and, um, and your skin cancer and cares about how much you're sleeping and cares about how you're engaging with your mother or your father or your son or your daughter. What if that matters too? And what if you could actually bring all of those things to God? What if, to quote St. Peter, you could cast all your cares on him because he cares for you? And the, I joke about that. And the word all in Greek means all. So you could really take everything. You could take everything and just bring it to the throne and maybe discover that the things that you regard as 
unimportant or not unimportant to God because he cares about birds and grass and he cares more about you. So that's the tangible quality of this miracle for those in a non-crisis. And then we have a generous miracle. This is verse 19. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And then they took up the 12 baskets of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, the generosity is all over these verses. Let me just mention a few ways it is. All ate and were satisfied. Uh, In other words, they didn't go to like an English uh, tea, right, where you have little finger sandwiches that everybody pretends to like, and you sip Earl Grey. And nor was it a wine tasting where you eat non-tasty crackers and sip wine. Instead, this is like Thanksgiving dinner. Everybody is completely full, and you probably need to nap for three hours just to cope with what you've just had, you know? So everybody eats, and they're satisfied. And then there are baskets left over. They counted them, 12 massive baskets full of extra lunch that you had to throw away or maybe save for tomorrow. Now, people make a lot of, hey, well, why was it 12? Why was it 12? What's the symbol of 12? Uh, is it because there were 12 tribes of, in Israel? There were 12 disciples? Oh, who cares? Who knows? It doesn't even matter. Maybe the text just means we counted the baskets and there was just a lot of bread and fish left over, just a lot of stuff, and that's probably what it means. Um, And so we see an overabundance of heaven's generosity. Heaven gives so much that we don't even need all the stuff that heaven gives. Lastly, the numbers, 5,000 men. What's interesting is St. Paul, when he's talking about Jesus' resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, says, by the way, there were 500 people that witnessed this miracle of the resurrection. It's a big deal, 500 verifiable witnesses. Here we have more over 5,000 or 5,000 men, but that doesn't include women and children, and their families were bigger than ours, at least most of ours today. There was probably 25,000 people that had dinner that day. They all had free lunch. They were all filled with the generosity of heaven. Now, in a sense, all of Jesus' miracles are generous remedies of serious problems, but they were usually reserved for individuals. Here's a demoniac. He will be healed. Here's a blind man. He won't be blind anymore. Here is a little girl who has died. She will be raised to life. But here, it's not just one person who won the lottery that day. Instead, it's 25,000 people who got, a bite down, who got to bite down on a miracle, who had miraculous, miraculously free lunches. Uh, that's enough food to feed everybody in a coliseum or an arena. Right? So we have a symbolic miracle, a tangible miracle, and a generous miracle. Now, how does this land in our lives in 2020? I want us to think just for a moment about all the free lunches that life has afforded us. Where do you detect the wild generosity of God in your own life? There is this prayer that we say at the end of every morning and evening prayer service. It's called the general thanksgiving. And it's a way to thank God, to show our gratitude for all the stuff we've got that we believe have come from the hands of God. Now, there are two bundles of things that we are thankful for in that prayer. Here's the first bundle, essentially thanking God for a free lunch through creation. We thank you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life. Everything that we have got going on right here and now that we can touch, feel, and taste. We thank you for those things. I want us to think about how the coordinates of heaven have provided you providentially more good than you 
could have ever asked for. You know, it's very easy to go negative within a cynical age and ask the why questions about the crises of life. Why is it that I was sick for so long? Why is it that I have brat children that won't listen to me? Why is it that I can't seem to understand uh, the, the responsibilities of my job and enact them well? Why is it that we still can't get along after 10 years of marriage? Why is it that you know, I, I still have these sleep apnea issues. Why is it that I can't seem to get, you know, this molar figured out? That's always mine. Why? Like, what's the deal? What gives? It's very easy to just go down that long, dark hallway and keep walking forever. Getting more cynical and angry and irritable with every step. How about we swap the question for another one? That is, in a world that is red in tooth and claw, in a world that is angry and hostile and mean and bitter and addicted and neurotic and pathological and, and uh, downright cruel, because that is the world, in a world that is defined by that parameters, why do we have all the good things that we've got? How did that happen? How did we get so lucky to have all this oil of blessing poured on our heads? Is it because we've worked really hard and deserve it? That's the Isaac Asimov answer. But let's put a pin in that because I think it's stupid. Um, if that's not the case, that we're not just reaping all the good things that we've sown, but instead, uh, are we not recipients of more than just dumb luck? Are we not the recipients of a conspiracy from a generous heaven? the coordinates of paradise. In other words, God is trying to show you through all the good that you have, all the love that you have, all the grace that you have, all the support that you have, the free checks in the mail, the friendships that you never expected to be friendships, the kind boss, the recovery from sickness, uh, all the sins in which you have not reaped what you've sown, the safe community you have, your nice house, the, your, the appreciation from your colleagues, your loving family, all of those are, to quote George Bush, a thousand points of light uh, in which he's trying to show you something good. And the good thing that he's trying to show you is this. I don't hate you. That's what God is trying to show you. I don't hate you. I never have. Instead, you are my prized possession. And yes, this life is horrific, but in the midst of a fallen horror show, you have a thousand points of light that point all the way home. God is not a tight-fisted monster. Heaven is the home of a bleeding heart. That's the first bit of the general thanksgiving. We thank you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life. The second bit is this, but above all, but above all, for your immeasurable, the old prayer said inestimable, your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we have more than just a first century caterer of free Chick-fil-A sandwiches. We have a Messiah who put skin in the game and did so quite literally and he became later on in his life a generous caterer of another meal, an even greater free lunch, where he said, take, eat, take, drink. This is my body. This is my blood given for you to deal with, pardon, and annihilate your sin. And we are told by the New Testament to keep feasting on redeeming love until all things are made new, until no one is broke, no one is assaulted, no one is raped, no one is bullied, no one is misused, no one is murdered, no one is infected, no one is sick with cancer, and no one has a mental disability. When you come to Holy Communion today, this is the miracle appetizer, and the best is yet to come. Amen. Free at last, they took you.